just it really turned me off with Marjorie Taylor Greene seeing her go all in on that because like, well, you've been very outspoken about Ukraine, but then you're going all in on the guy who has two Ukraine pins. Like, yeah. come on, what are we doing? He's got them on his shirt. God knows where else he has them. Right? <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> Easy, Kevin. Don't yeah. show us. Don't show yeah, us your tattoos. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a question. We talked. Dr. Paul and I talked about it on the show. We talked about it off the show. Um, and you know, I think you could make a good argument for her position. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is that, you know, basically the Democrats don't do this. They don't shoot themselves in the feet. As soon as they get power, they rally behind Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of them realize how brain dead she was and is, um, but they don't want to make a public show of beating, hacking each other to death. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, you know, Dr. Paul always voted when it came to like formalities, he just always vote with the party because it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't really change very much. Mm -hmm. And if there's not really, you know, my old, the old chief of staff, uh, Tom Lazardo, would always say to us, um, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? What is up everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All, right. Awesome. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, and today I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation. I have the great Daniel McAdams with me. Daniel, how are you doing today? Kyle, thanks so much for having me on your program. Of course. Well, I'm, as I said, I'm very, very excited to uh, talk with you today. So um, I guess let's start with an introduction, then we can go on about guitars. So um, just in case okay. nobody knows who you are, I'm, I'm sure they all do, but um, just in case, uh, who are you and what do you do and what are you known for? Um, well, I don't know if I'm known, but I'm, I'm Daniel McAdams. I'm the, the director of the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, my my uh, second job is I'm uh, Dr. Paul's sidekick on the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Um, I worked for him on Capitol Hill for 12 years um, until he retired. And then when he retired, we set up the Institute. And we primarily focus on foreign policy and civil liberties. Uh, but there's always some overlap. You know, we do talk about the, the Fed and banking uh, particularly as it's the Fed that really facilitates our disastrous interventionist foreign policy mm -hmm. uh, and disastrous <laughs> interventionist domestic policy. So that's pretty much what we focus on. We're celebrating our 10th year this year mm -hmm. at the Ron Paul Institute. Um, we do the daily program. We do conferences uh, pretty much around the country every year. So, um, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, remainder of the Ron Paul revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it seems like that's kind of spread out throughout the Republican and the Libertarian parties. Um, I, I was pretty staunchly against the Republican Party prior to starting this podcast back in October of 2021. And um, I've had quite a great few guests on this program and I actually interviewed the um, uh, candidate for lieutenant governor here in Pennsylvania, um, Carrie Luce Del Rosso, yesterday. Um, and I, I got to say, I'm taking a liking to them a little bit more, but I just wish they would shut up about China. That would be that would be oh, phenomenal wow. if they could shut up about the China stuff and yeah, realize man. like this is a an empire on the verge of collapse. Uh, we would be so much better off. And I think that a lot of libertarians would probably say like, okay, well, we can we can kind of move in the fold here. Yeah, that China is a weird one, you know, because you'll have a lot of great Republicans uh, who will say, not another dime to Ukraine. We got to focus on taking on China. Yeah. Chicoms are coming, you know, and it's <laughs> it's really, you know, I've said it before that the most irritating thing about people who are obsessed with China uh, and the U.S. government's obsession with China, whether you're Trump or whether you're Biden, mm -hmm. is that despite all the talk about how much they hate China because it's totalitarian, they always want to import the worst things about China, you know? <laughs> the surveillance right. state, treating people like crap, which mm -hmm. we did. I mean, we, we literally, lock, stock, and barrel, adopted China's policies on COVID, which are the most totalitarian, you know, for the last maybe 77 years mm -hmm. kinds of policies. So all the terrible, crappy stuff about China, they love. 
and all the great stuff about China. And there's a lot of great stuff about China. Mm -hmm. um, that's what makes them pissed off. And that's, that's, I mean, I'm basically just 180 from all these people when it comes to China. Yeah. So um, one of the moments that um, I, I had listened to you on the Ron Paul Liberty Report for a couple of years now. And one of the moments that I knew like, oh my God, Daniel McAdams is like one of the greatest people on the face of the earth is when um, shortly after you guys had Blake Masters on um, the Ron Paul Institute, which may or may not be ran by you, I'm told, um, had quote <laughs> tweeted Blake Masters and said, Blake, you're great, but you got to drop this neocon stuff about China. And that's really what held me back from giving a lot of support for him because he at one point had literally said there's going to be Chinese on the shores of California. Like, <laughs> yeah. come on, dude, you can't be Ron Paul guy and believe this shit. Yeah. That was a, that was maybe a little intemperate to do that, but I just mm -hmm. wanted, I, I just had to be out there. I mean, because right. I mean, a Ron Paul endorsement should mean something. And obviously no one is perfect, mm -hmm. but you know, um, I'd hate to have another Ted Cruz, you know, Ted got a Ron oh, Paul endorsement yes. and he basically lied through his teeth the whole time. Mm -hmm. And um, so it should mean something. If it doesn't mean something, then, you know, it's just one of those things. So probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But uh, just the, the idea that China basically wants, I mean, if you think about it, th I mean, it, stop for a second, that China wants to acquire American soil and territory and subjugate these white devils under their bootstraps. It's so preposterous. It's mm -hmm. so beyond a Hollywood movie. Mm -hmm. um that it's it's not even worth considering now are, do chinese feel competitive with us well of course it's a developing nation with like what 1.2 whatever billion people um and they're developing and they're competing for resources and they're out competing us they build things we don't do anything but sit around eating donuts all day right and talking <laughs> about what our pronouns are mm -hmm. uh the chinese i my guess is are not obsessed with their pronouns uh they're obsessed with uh, with competing uh, they're obsessed with the geopolitical changes in the world, and we're under some very fundamental changes right now, changes we haven't seen, I think, since the end of World War I, where the entire order of the Earth, the entire political order of the Earth is absolutely shifting as we watch it. We're at a point in history, and China is, of course, very closely observing this um, because they're looking out for their people. Um, the Chinese are better, better capitalists than we are in the U.S. It's a lot quicker to get a business license in China. And yeah, if you start, if you start bad mouthing the political leaders there, you're going to have problems. But guess what happens in the U.S. when you do that, right? <laughs> you take you it off Twitter problems. and off YouTube. Yeah, or you go to Dallas, you know, in November of '63 and get your head blown off, right? <laughs> so yeah, you take you know, a convertible car right down through Dallas. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's the whole, you know, log in your own eye, splinter in someone else's eye, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one thing that had really kind of opened my eyes to this, and it, it sounds so counterintuitive, but uh, Peter Schiff, um, who's my absolute favorite economist, um, I, I remember, I want to say 2019, I started listening to him, or maybe even 2018. And he was mentioning the trade deficits that we have with China. And then all the Republicans just want to stick it in China's eyes saying that, you know, that they're ripping us off. And then he would mention these trade deficits. And I started looking into this stuff. I'm like, we're like benefiting from this because we send them debt. They send us goods. Yeah. And I also heard the saying once that um, we go to different countries with bombs and they go to different countries with a suitcase. Yep. <laughs> so now exactly. both are very unsustainable, but you know, which one collapses first it, it, in my estimation, it kind of looks like China. Cause now even there, um, there was an article, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Joe Solis Mullen. He's mm -hmm. a, a writer for um, the Mises Institute and for the Libertarian Institute from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, he shared an article this morning saying that um, for the first time in, um, a couple decades, I think they said, um, China's population is actually in decline. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That is a serious issue that they have to deal with, you know, among other issues. And, you know, they do deal with things in a top-down manner. It's an authoritarian government, and that's not a pejorative term. It's just a descriptive term. Russia is an authoritarian government. Uh, it's, again, just a descriptive term. You know, one of the problems we have, and this is, you know, the, the, shifting, the shifting political tectonics in the world now, um, are uh, what I think is becoming more and more evidence uh, is what uh, people like someone that's really influenced me a lot lately is Professor Richard Laguto. He's a Polish professor and he wrote a great book called The Demon in Democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, and essentially, you know, the thumbnail sketch of the book is that essentially liberal democracies uh, in the post-Cold War era behave very much like the totalitarian 
dictatorships of the Cold War era, which is that there is one ideology that's allowed, only one ideology. It is the end of history. Uh, anything else that's a competitor has to be crushed. There's a little bit of this in the Wolfowitz Doctrine, but the Wolfowitz Doctrine um, essentially is, is about the use of force, you know, it's force. This is more a philosophical perspective that leaders in the West, leaders in the so-called liberal democracies, believe that any competing ideology is just by definition the enemy. So you can't have an Iran that's a theocracy that probably neither of us would necessarily want to live in, particularly as I don't mind to have a glass of whiskey here and there. Um, now and again and they're probably not as they're probably not um i shouldn't even say they're probably not as hardcore as the saudis are on that sort of thing um but nevertheless not necessarily i'm not i'm not a you know i'm not a shia muslim so i probably wouldn't be super happy there although i probably would eat myself to death Uh um but nevertheless you know there are there are countries that are following a more authoritarian uh route and economics and term and politics as well and russia is certainly one of those they have essentially driven not centrally planned but centrally driven economy where the the government takes a much higher role in industry and as Misians, you know that is that seems anathema to us but you know the non-interventionist impulse has to kick in and say well that may be true it may not be the best thing for the u.s um but uh they shouldn't be undermined and overthrown because they've chosen a different path you know, and that's the real problem. And this is the problem we're facing in the world today. And that's why we are in World War III. There's no question about it. We are at war with Russia and China and maybe India over this. Uh, every day we get sucked deeper, deeper into this war. Um, when it finally becomes apparent to everyone that the war was launched almost a year ago, of course, it'll be hopefully not too late to back out. Uh, hopefully people will start to pay attention. But we have to be honest about the state of the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, and it is grim to consider, but um, you know, like you said, we do have to, you know, live with the reality of that. Um, have you watched Jack Ryan at all? It's a uh, show on Amazon. I haven't watched the show. I did watch a couple of those movies. Um, I like the the one, um, where the bad guys come into a, his house. Mm-hmm. What was that movie? The film with uh, with Harrison Ford. But no, uh, I haven't watched this. I haven't watched the series. Okay, um, my wife and I are watching it, and um, I remember hearing um Robbie Martin from Media Roots Radio doing an episode on it and saying how um the second season was basically just like straight up deep state propaganda. And I watched it a while ago before I was informed on foreign policy as much as I am now, and I'm like, holy shit! So the second season was all about basically um how corrupt Venezuela was, and I think it aired in 2018 or 19, mm. and so you kind of piece together from there and then season three just came out and <laughs> um my wife and i hadn't gotten to watching it yet but um i told her right as soon as we finished watching season two the other night i'm like all right i guarantee you season three is going to be all about russia or china and then we start flipping it on and what happens it's all about russia <laughs> <laughs> you've got more patience than i do but you know the the cia um is embedded in these production companies it's mm-hmm. well it's it's been well known for decades um I think there's a great book, and I have it here on my shelf somewhere, uh, The Mighty Wurlitzer, and it talks about how the CIA, uh, the CIA's historic control of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no doubt there's some advisors in there uh, helping them with the <laughs> plot lines. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think I heard that you can't have access to a lot of like the military equipment if you don't kind of toe the military line in some of your films. And I have to imagine that's probably just copious amounts of money to rent that kind of stuff out. Oh yeah, yeah. I know you want to be a player. You want to be on. The, you want to be a team player when it comes to these guys. <laughs> so, so I noticed. Um, well, you had mentioned the uh, guitar collection. Um, so I, I guess let's talk about that then, because I didn't even know you played guitar at all. But um, this will definitely be a, a interesting conversation. So, um, <laughs> I, I I don't want to sound rude, but um, how old are you? Oh, I'm about 123. <laughs> <laughs> I I um I am a child of the 80s. Let's put it that way. Okay, so um, who is your favorite? Or, let's go for top three from the 80s for you. I mean, of, of all time. I mean, a, a couple of caveats here. A, I'm, I'm, I'm old. B, I don't, I don't listen to music very much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the mistake of, well, my son is now at college, but uh, when he was at home, I, 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 I exposed him to classical music very early. Mm-hmm. uh and uh and so he can't he can't stand pop music um and so um we had more of that in the house and so for me it's like 
I've become my dad. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> my dad was playing um, 50s records and it just drove me through the roof. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I forget what they call it, but uh, he, he's always playing these 50s records. Like, oh, my God, Dad, this is awful. How did you listen to this crap? So I'm that guy now, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I grew up a, a massive, massive fan of the Townsend and the Who. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just liked everything about them. I loved his guitar style, which wasn't, you know, like a classic. I mean, obviously, it started a classic blues style. You know, the, all the, you know, the British invasion were influenced by blues. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. They sort of stole it from, from blacks in America, basically. <laughs> the Stones yeah. were the worst of anyone, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but he, I think he progressed to be a, such an interesting a guitar player and such an unusual guitar player um he's always kind of been my my favorite i guess in terms of that but there are there's so many great guitar players in fact it's you know the great jeff beck who just mm -hmm. passed away yep. um was shocking he was i mean here i'm a kid of 12 years old it's like i mean i'm giving it away it's like 1977 i'm a kid of 12 years old i'm living in altaloma california um i go to the public library <laughs> get a couple books you know this and that and I pick up Jeff Beck's great album with Freeway Jam on it, you know, and it's just, wow, you know, this is incredible, you know, and I think that's, that's the kind of thing that probably inspired me to, to, to start trying to play guitar. Uh, and of course, I'd never mastered it. I never even became close to mastering, but um, that sort of sure turned me on uh, the local, uh, you know, the local community libraries. I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Okay, well, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I remember all my friends would always play guitar here, and it seems like I was the only one that really kind of stuck through with it, which... Um, that wasn't like the main inspiration, but I remember my dad listened to like Motley Crue and Metallica and stuff like that, you know, cause I was born my in generation. Yeah. Okay. Well, my dad was born in, um, 69. So, um, he's 53 now, but yeah, he used to listen to all sorts of metal stuff. And I remember he got me like some early two thousands kind of rock. And I was just like incubus and some more, a little bit more mainstream stuff. And then like I discovered Slipknot and then started listening to the whole discography of Metallica, all of Pantera, and still to this day, I, I don't think there will ever be a guitarist that like wows me like Dimebag Daryl from Pantera did. Because just watching like the Pantera home videos where they're setting up these giant paper mache pot leaves in front of hotels and blowing them up just was like <laughs> the coolest thing in the world to um, like 15 year old me. And you know, of course, me and all my buddies would go down to the basement and start firing off fireworks at each other and stuff, and you know, turn the amp up to 11 and just cranking it. So, um, yeah, that was uh, really, really big for me. So were you into like any heavier stuff or was it just mostly like kind of rock and blues for you? Well, you know, what happened with me in my generation, which is obviously a few before yours, mm -hmm. but, you know, they're, they're the excesses of the 60s, you know, had a real impression on music at the time, the Woodstock era and, you know, um, uh, this whole sort of this whole sort of thing, this whole sort of, you know, just pop and then you had the garishness of the early 70s mm -hmm. with the big shoes and the uh you know elton john looked and this and that and you know the real reaction to that came in the late set mid to late 70s you know with the arrival of the sex pistols on the scene and the ramones on the scene so the the punk rock revolution was really you know it was really a cultural fundamental revolution in music that just like ripped everything to the core and it was the basically the diy um feature of punk rock that was so appealing it's like hey you know just like nowadays it's hey you get a podcast back then it was hey you get a band you know it's like <laughs> well wait hold on i don't know how to play it doesn't matter man it's just, you know <laughs> this is punk rock you know so so that's what it was all about and you know when i was in high school they had um uh every so often there would be a lunch uh, one of the bands for the kids in school would play during lunch oh, and inevitably wow. it would be you know like the same Led Zeppelin songs, you know, that they could barely get through. And it was that kind of hard rock. Mm -hmm. And we finally got the okay for our band to play. And this was, you know, this was the, um, 
the early 80s in California, Southern California. Mm-hmm. And punk was not accepted where we grew up. <laughs> and we, we just like started, you know, we went into like social distortion, uh, the Sex Pistols. And by the time we played three or four songs, the whole high school, the whole quad area was in a massive riot. <laughs> it, was, it was like all hell broke loose because all the metalheads couldn't believe the crap they were hearing. And they just started throwing things and throwing punches. And it's kind of sad. But after that, they said, we'll never have a band on campus again. I mean, so, at least you guys got to go out with a bang, right? We went out with a big bang, <laughs> so it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I, oh, sorry. I know. I was just going to say, and I guess it kind of faded out as I got to college. Mm. Um, I was in, but you know, a band with a couple of guys in college, but it never really went anywhere, and it kind of it just kind of faded away after that. And um, I really got into like in the early two thousands when all of a sudden, all like all you needed, like with with us as kids, it was you know, a cassette recorder and, and two cassette recorders, you could have two tracks, you know, and then they had the four track cassettes. Wow. That was awesome. And then all of a sudden in the early two thousands, if you had, you know, a Mac with GarageBand, you basically had a recording studio on your computer. So um, that got me jazzed about doing stuff again. And I spent a few years just like fooling around with that, but you know, time gets away from you as you get, as you get old. And so unfortunately I don't, um, I don't do much anymore, but I will say I noticed your guitars in the background and my um, my 14 year old daughter uh, was begging uh, for an electric guitar for Christmas. OK, and so. it's like, oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's like typical parent. I don't want you to do what I did. Right. I don't want you to get into rock music. You know, I've spent I spent thousands of dollars for the kids having piano lessons and learning yeah. to play classical piano and learning music theory. The last thing I want you to do is wasted on an electric guitar. But of course, I relented, you know, and so. <laughs> I got, I, it's just out of reach here, but I got a, a really cute little um, Squire Starcaster. It's, okay. it's a, a semi-acoustic, mm-hmm. it's black, and it's like, I'm feeling very excited about guitar again, because even though it's just a Squire, it plays phenomenally well. Oh, nice, yeah. It plays really well, and I have a, I have a Telecaster mm-hmm. um, that I rarely, rarely touch, right. but playing this and the sound, the action, the humbucky pickups, you get a yeah. really full sound. Uh, I mean, for the for the price, it is a nice instrument. Yes. Yeah, so, um, real quick side note, I guess, relevant story. Um, I bought my wife a guitar because she kept saying that she wanted to learn how to play. And um, there's this website called Tom and Music, um, and they have a uh, brand of guitars called Harley Be- Harley Benton's, and they're actually like really nice, affordable guitars. So I bought her one of those, and then um, it was like this red one with gold. I don't know, it's that one right there, but um. So like the tuners are gold and the body of it's red and the bridge is gold. And um, I bought it for her forever ago. She doesn't play it. And she had told me, well, I was going to get you this guitar for Christmas, but unfortunately they were out of stock of it. So I couldn't get it for you. So like, whatever, I forget about it. She got me like this little whiskey glass with a pick in it and got me okay. a, a strap with sharks on it. Because if you can't talk, I absolutely love sharks. That's cool. Um, so um, <laughs> I- I'm sitting down here the one day editing some podcasts and I look over to my left where that guitar was sitting and then all of a sudden i look and i see this here and it looks awfully oh. similar to that one so this is another one of those harley bentons and oh wow um, this was only like 200 dollars, and this wow. guitar sounds plays looks absolutely phenomenal wow that's a great deal yeah so um, they that's- do have to ship out of germany but they do ship pretty quick um oh. but yeah I, I just i'm sitting here just editing stuff and i look over i'm like yeah it's i walked downstairs and and i'm like was this fucking thing in here for weeks or something like i had no idea it was here but um what a gal yeah she she is a keeper but um that's awesome yeah so i've i've just found that uh guitar for me has just been kind of like the number one thing for me and i feel bad because like on twitter and everywhere else i don't promote my personal band as much as i should we um we got to open for Lita Ford once and we're opening for her again in may and i i can't freaking wait and then in uh this, this might serve as a good pivot too. Um, in 2020, June of 2020, I don't know if you know, if you know who Steel Panther is. I'm afraid I don't. Okay, they're like this, they're like a goofy kind of metal band where they write. I don't want to say like spoof songs, but they write some like 
songs that are just funny. Like they have a song about Tiger Woods oh, and okay. mentioned how he went around, you know, fertilizing the na- ladies in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, June or July of 2020, we opened for them and it was a sold out show in Butler. And I, th- I want to say it was like a week or two before the giant Trump rally up here where 50,000 people showed up. So, I mean, this is the middle of bumfuck nowhere. And there's like, I want to say a couple hundred vehicles lined out in front of us. You're allowed to not wear your mask in front of your vehicle. If you went beside it or walked away from your vehicle, you had to put on a mask. And in between each song, people would be hitting their horns and stuff. It was a, uh, it's really, really cool experience. Oh, that's awesome. So um, yeah, that, but you just couldn't beat going to a live concert. And I've, I've, I'm afraid I've just been so bad with it. Um, just that feeling of the music in your chest, the snare drum, every single kick um, oh, yeah. on and off stage is just absolutely amazing. So um, have you guys gone into recording studio or? Yeah, we have one EP out now with four songs and then we have a couple like singles out. We did a message in a bottle by the police and oh, cool. I think my singer just knocked it out of the park. Oh, I'll have to send awesome. some of the stuff over. Oh, I'd love um, to hear it. That's, that's awesome. Neat. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the more memorable concerts that you had uh, got to go to when you were younger? Because I feel like back in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s, there were just so many cool tours. And now it's just like not the same anymore. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was a lot of the punk gigs from the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in um, we actually played at the Cafe de Grand, which is a, in Southern California. That was like a, a really top place of course we were like seven bands for a dollar night right? <laughs> so i mean i'm not I, I can't take any um you know credit for that but mm-hmm. a lot of those great shows like in riverside a lot of skate punks um you know social distortion the vandal circle jerks all of these guys we saw them live and it was it was a lot of fun but in terms of like a big conference a concert i think i went i saw the who in in uh, 1983 mm-hmm. and that was really something and the clash opened for them which was so I thought this is great, like two and one, because I've always been a massive fan of the Clash. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Clash really sucked live, and they sucked no. live then. Um, and it just wasn't a good show at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's now been so many years um, since I've seen, I did, <laughs> since I've gone to a major show. Um, I also like, um, you know, um, different kinds of alternative music. There's a great okay, band sure. from from Lithuania called Leibach, and I like them a lot. They're great. There's a lot of social commentary. They're basically anti-fascist, anti-authoritarian, mm-hmm. um, but, but fascinating. So I went to see them uh, in Budapest. I lived in Budapest in the 90s. Mm-hmm. We went to see them. My wife and I went to see them in Budapest. And we were both working for the, for the local newspaper mm-hmm. in Budapest at the time. So it was pretty cool because she was able to get us tickets to go to the show, mm-hmm. comp. And I was able, as a writer, uh, to do an interview with them. So that was, that was pretty cool to do that. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's all uh, really cool stuff. Um, Yeah, it it seems like music today, like there isn't a significant counterculture. And I know this is almost cliche, but, um, you know, the rage for the machine at this point, it's very, very upsetting. And I'm kind of lucky that like, you know, in small town Pennsylvania, most of the bands that we play with, most of these are people that are playing these bands are like working class people i mean you know they got calluses on their hand dirt shoved up their nails much like i do and you yeah. know we all talk about our work week and a lot of the guys that i mean fuck even the, um, my bass player my band owns an automotive shop owns oh, a bar cool. and sells dogs so um, <laughs> that's I, awesome it, it, good it, people right right absolutely um you know you want to kind of see this resurgence of like a counterculture so like you hear people say all the time like just shut up and play music but like i'm kind of the opposite approach like some of these people should speak up because there are a lot of people out there who feel just completely enraged about what happened to them over 2020 because bands didn't really get to tour and that's how they make a lot of their money is off of touring and selling merch so i want these people speaking up about the injustice that was done to them because they'll do it again if they can and you know without hesitation Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i mean i won't name the name but it's a it's a friend of mine i came i came to know as a friend um who plays in a very in a very well-known band and he's an absolutely brilliant guitar player i mean phenomenal guitar player uh and this is a very well-known band uh mm-hmm. and like for two years they couldn't tour and if you're in a band that's your bread and butter absolutely and the poor guy i mean this guy's a world-class musician and he's trying to you know like offer guitar lessons online you know mm-hmm. to people and it was just tragic to see and i i mean i know that he's pissed off um i hope i hope he stays pissed off and i hope everyone 
stays pissed off at these people. They can't get away with what they did. You know, they just can't. Yeah, it, it was uh, really tragic for us too, because I remember um, we had our CD release show in, I want to say like late January or early February of 2020. And like, we had all these big festival shows and I'm like, man, we're going to be going all over this side of the country. And then dropped. So um, it, it was, it was a huge bummer. So I don't know when I see people criticizing musicians for speaking up, like, I don't agree with Ted Nugent on everything, but the dude's not dumb. He's talented yeah. as the day is freaking long, but yeah. you know, when he's right, He's right. And I don't know yeah. um, if you know who um, Havoc is, but their guitar player and singer, he's a uh, very outspoken guy as well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm all about those guys. The same with uh, Phil Labonte from All That Remains. Um, he's got a decent following on Twitter and he's very, very, he's very much so a libertarian. So like I said, I just encourage these people to speak out because um, they're part of the culture, which yeah. is something that, um, you know, I think you would probably agree. A lot of libertarians are kind of lacking a presence there. So the more people we have kind of pushing the message that we want to see out there, you know, definitely the better. Yeah. Because the only people who do, who do are not, are not ashamed to grab the microphone or all the woke tars, you know, <laughs> you know, preaching all this BS. Uh -huh. And, um, so yeah, I think, yeah, push back a little bit is great. And there have been, you know, a lot of libertarian, like overtly libertarian, musicians who you know they incorporate that into their lyrics and what have you and i think it's great and yeah if you got the microphone you should use it you know you don't want to be you don't want to overdo it and start lecturing people like right. the other side does but yeah absolutely i think it's it's a great thing to do and you talk about a counterculture <laughs> like what better counter freaking culture is to own a car repair shop sell dogs and what was the other thing and own a bar i mean yeah. that is that is punk rock <laughs> you know that yeah. is totally punk rock Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, you know, my, my uh, newest friend, Reed Coverdale, and I think we, we both know Reed. Oh, I yeah. Mean, Reed, Reed actually stayed at my house. He was sitting right next to me at one point um, when he's moving back to New Hampshire. So I'm sorry. But yeah. I mean, yeah. Counterculture is getting one of those big ass trucks and <laughs> driving it. That's this, right? Isn't it? That's yeah. that. I mean, it, anyone can have a podcast and yap away for three or four hours. You know, all mm -hmm. it takes is a couple of cups of coffee or some whiskey or whatever. But. <laughs> Get in one of those monsters, that's yeah. counterculture, you know, and I, I just, that's why I just dig it so much. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I grew up, I grew up blue collar. In fact, my mother's from Pennsylvania, but I grew up mm. in a blue collar working class family, you know, and that's, uh, those kinds of people have been crapped on and they're, they look down on. And that's why Trump won because he mm -hmm. didn't treat them like crap. He actually uh, treated them pretty well. And, so, uh, you know. Yeah. So my dad shared something today. I want to read this to you because I think you'll probably resonate with this. Okay. So um, yesterday a client stopped by to say goodbye. I remember putting gas in his vehicle when I was preteen. So probably 12 years old. Great guy. His wife passed away in the nineties of cancer. He stayed here and raised his kids and got them through college. Now he's living with a great woman on the coast of Florida. You know, I'll be sad not to see him anymore. He actually shook my hand and said, thank you for several decades of phenomenal service. Kind of brought a tear to my eye, but in a way I'm kind of jealous and God, bless him but um to, to that point i mean when i worked for my dad at his small repair shop i remember seeing people come in and shake my hand and say look i knew there had to be another i watched your grandfather your dad and now you all grew up I, and like you just don't see that kind of stuff anymore that's awesome it's awesome mm -hmm. it's awesome do things people that can do things you know <laughs> i was really thrilled my, my my son has just started grad school now mm -hmm. um but he was just home over the christmas holidays and it like yeah, he did waste a little time sitting around, I'll have to admit it. But he, he went out to the side yard and built a forge and started forging a sword. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's out there all day. He rigged up the thing and he's got a fire going and he's got a sword in there and he's pounding it on an anvil. It's like, okay, do stuff, make stuff. That's, that's the counterculture. Okay, so yeah, what was your youth like? Because you mentioned a uh, kind of blue collar um, upbringing and I, I've seen you um, say something over to read about this once. So um, I'm kind of curious about your experience kind of growing up around a similar culture that I did. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I grew up in Southern California. My dad was a truck driver. Mm. So um, in, in those days it was different though, because when you were a truck driver, especially if you were, my dad was a teamster. Um, but if you were in a union, you, you, you had, a, you had a good job. You had like four weeks of vacation a year. You weren't rich, but you could afford a house. And my mom stayed home. And as, as we got into high school, you know, she, she would get some jobs to get some extra money. But mm -hmm. essentially, you could live on one salary. You could live pretty well. You could have a nice vacation. Nothing fancy. We had a travel trailer. We went up to the Redwoods every year and had a couple of weeks just like hanging out in nature, which is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. You know, so 
those kinds of things are, are basically gone. I mean, yeah. uh, it, 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 I can't imagine that, you know, a single, you know, a single person with a job like that, uh, you know, it's just tough. And, I'm, you know, there are a lot of bad things about unions, you know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, a lot of corruption, but um, they served a great purpose uh, in the day, that's for sure. Yeah. So my stepdad's an electrician and he's been a union electrician for like the last 30 years. And then as I kind of laid out earlier, my father's side of the family, I mean, they've been automotive business owners for years and years and years. And then I've worked in the automotive business for about a decade too. And um, the one thing that I kind of talk to people about a lot, um, I kind of wish they had the same experience I did with my first job in the automotive field where I was making minimum wage, changing oil on cars and rotating 80 pound truck tires oh, <laughs> and, and them telling me every single day, you're not paid to think you're just paid to do. You do what I tell you. And man, I got my teeth kicked in day in and day out. And okay. I hated every second of it for <laughs> the uh, 16 months that I was there. But then like kind of looking back at it and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that experience. And I think a lot of our culture today could use that same experience of kind of getting treated like shit for a little bit. So yeah. that way it builds you into a more robust individual as you go on. Were you in high school when you had that job or was it uh, after? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I had the same thing. I, my guess is the kids nowadays don't have jobs in high school. But, you know, when I was in high school, I was, I was a cook in an Italian restaurant and it was just normal. I probably worked 30 hours a week in a restaurant, yeah. you know, in the evenings. And I went to school during the day, of course. And um, yeah, you're treated like crap. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it. You know, I worked my way up from being a dishwasher to being a cook and talk about, it's probably not as literally dirty as working with cars, but man, you finish a shift cooking all the evening you got food caked over you mm -hmm. um i can only imagine it's pretty embarrassing but you know like you you go out with a gal afterward and i'm sure i must have smelled like a fishmonger or something you know <laughs> no wonder i didn't have a, a you know a, a ton of dates i guess but mm -hmm. you know uh, i mean again like you say i wouldn't trade it i wouldn't trade it at all i love that that hard work it really it does build a lot of character mm -hmm. yeah and, and like yeah, it's I really feel that's missing with a lot of the younger generation. I hate to sound like a boomer, you know, old man shakes fist at sky, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is kind of well needed. And, you know, I, I, I kind of understand where people are outraged because they can't get a job that really um, pays their bills sufficiently. But um, on the opposite end of that, a lot of people aren't willing to ask what additional responsibilities they can take on that would justify paying them more. Yeah. A, a good friend of mine from church, his son, I think is around 20. And, you know, didn't want to go to college. That's fine. It's not for everyone. That's for yeah. sure. Um, so instead of sitting around whining or getting some crappy job, he's learning, he learned to weld. Mm -hmm. And now he's a welder. You know, he's got like two out of the three certificates that you need. And like, hey, that's a pretty good job. That's a pretty good career. You can go anywhere you want to go. You can put a rig on the back of your truck and be mobile if you want. Um, and I was telling him uh, after church on Sunday, I said, um, the great thing about that kind of thing is, you know, when his shift is over, he goes home. Maybe he cracks a beer. And it's all over. I mean, it's, that's your time now. Uh, you don't have to deal with that. And, you know, so, yeah, it's exactly what are you willing to do? You can have a decent life um, in that way, but you got to make some sacrifices. You got to learn a trade. You got to learn a skill. You got to learn how to make something or do something or fix something. Um, but if you can and, you, and you're not lazy, there's still a lot of opportunity out there. Absolutely. Um, it is very meritocratic in that regard. So um, do, are you kind of hopeful that people will kind of stop going to college? I, I know like with this whole student forgiveness thing, student loan forgiveness, um, it seems like that may incentivize some people to go to college. But uh, I think some people are starting to look at it and realizing like this isn't worth it. Um, and the trade schools are pretty expensive too, but you know, there's more honest work and I think more honest pay there and more reliable pay. Yeah. Um, what do you think about college versus like trade schools now? I think if you, uh, if you want to go the route of liberal arts, you know, I have a, I have a degree in English from UC Berkeley. So, um, you know, I, I have one foot in that world, but if, you know, the, this is a different world than it was. I graduated in, in 1988, feels like 1888, but no, 1988. <laughs> And um, it's, it was bad. There, there was a lot of wokeness there on campus at Berkeley, obviously, but um, nothing like today, nothing like today. So the idea of going $100,000 in debt to having some harridans screaming at you about <laughs> your pronouns for four years, mm -hmm. and if you dare happen to be the slightest bit conservative or, um, or libertarian, then you're just you're like you're worse than Hitler. 
I mean, I would say it's definitely not, but everyone is different. You know, my son is an aerospace engineer now, and there's just no way that he could have gone to where he's going and wants to be without a college degree, because that stuff is super, super technical mm-hmm. and you have to study it. But, but definitely um, if you're interested in poetry and writing and drama, which is what I was interested in, um, you, uh, you, you can learn that later. Right? <laughs> you can learn that later. Um, you know, uh, but I would say generally now it's a positive thing that people are realizing that the college is not all it's cracked up to be. And I think we're going to see a backlash. I was just looking at an article recently about the, um, it was, it was a ranking. It was that, I forget what it's called fire. And I don't know if they're right wing. I don't know what they are, but they're free speech on campus, I think. Mm-hmm. And they had a ranking of the most pro free speech campuses in the country. And that's a good trend, you know? So if you're starting to see a rebound, from the from this woke is crap, and you're gonna you're gonna celebrate free speech on campus, then that's that's a good that's a good um, that's a good swing of the pendulum, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree. Um, I went to a Votech college, and I don't think people understand how complex some of these trades are getting. I mean, I I could just speak for the automotive field. I did three days of hybrids courses, and I mean that's just kind of like scratching the surfaces. So I mean, like when it comes to General Motors, I am fully certified in hybrid technologies, but like man, this stuff isn't getting any easier and um you know dealership labor rates i mean i'm in greensburg pennsylvania which is like you know there's like farms all around here and then you have like this big strip of all sorts of stuff and we're charging 200 an hour wow. and now I, that doesn't that's, go a, that's like lawyer fees yeah but it doesn't go into my pocket i make not even a quarter of that but um you know like how are you supposed to afford to fix a freaking car anymore and then um we also did a pdi which is just a pre-delivery inspection on a new cadillac escalade v a hundred fifty thousand dollars for a cadillac now does it have like an espresso machine in it or something or a bar or does it come with the you know a driver that's insane wow. yeah i think they have like cup coolers so i mean you know at least you know your uh, cold brew from starbucks would be cold right Something like that. <laughs> exactly that's wild that's wild. so what was your experience like in other countries because you lived in um a couple different places right you lived over in ukraine at one point as no well, i lived right? in i lived in okay. hungary through the 1990s i okay. um we moved out just after clinton was elected Mm-hmm. And we moved back to the U.S. just as he was leaving office. So we, I, I like to joke that we were in exile during the Clinton years. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so but while I was there, I traveled a lot through the region because I was working with the human rights group mm-hmm. um, out of Oxford University. And uh, so we did a lot of traveling. We did a lot of war reporting um, in the Balkans because that, you know, that was the time when Yugoslavia was breaking up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a time that um, the big thing that I did was um, there was a... Um, there was basically a U.S.-backed coup in Albania in 1996, and so I spent a lot of time over there during that coup. It's pretty nasty business, mm. and, you know. It's a small country, and I think something like 1,500 people were killed wow. um, in it. But it was—it's a small country, so you know that you got to, you know, you know, comparison-wise, it was pretty bad. But so, I, but I've traveled throughout the region. I've never been to Ukraine. I've been to Belarus. Never been to Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Armenia and Georgia. So a few, a few of the former Soviet. Uh, republics but um but not the biggies i guess <laughs> mm, okay so I, I guess kind of pivoting from there what are your thoughts on um trump and desantis 2024 like I, I, it's probably a tired line from libertarians but i do think desantis is poised to be the guy and i feel like this is going to be a straight walk back to the george bush era and people say oh he voted against regime change in syria in 2013 but um, you listen to this dude talk about Iran, and even like when he talks about Russia, he's not good. And obviously, he's a Republican of the you know twenty twenties, so he's bad on China. So I'm um, curious about your thoughts there. All right, guys, um, I am absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink. Sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, You need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, 
sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. It's a shame. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about Trump. I wish Trump was different. I mean, there's so yeah. much I like about him. I love the fact, I love how he just blew apart the whole PC. He blew apart uh, you know, all of these sacred shibboleths, he just like, <laughs> he just laughed at him, you know, so he was so great. But when it came back to the, it came down to the nasty business of, of fixing that car, right? He could joke with you, in the, <laughs> but when it came to turning those screws and fixing the car, mm -hmm. then he screwed the whole thing up. Yeah. And that's the real sad part about Trump. I mean, he hired John Bolton, mm -hmm. he hired uh, Nikki Haley, he hired all these ridiculously horrible people um, who spent the entire time working for him, stabbing him in the back. Uh, you know, and it's shocking. So Trump was a huge disappointment. The only good thing he did is when he hired my friend Doug McGregor, like with two days left of his presidency. <laughs> Doug, I need you to get us out of Syria. I need you to get us out of Afghanistan. <laughs> you got 48 hours. You know, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, man. But, um, but DeSantis, you know, DeSantis was very brave. I mean, he started out really bad during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he just woke up and said, this is BS and changed the whole thing. And you can imagine the, the pressure on him, the slings and arrows he withstood. Right. Uh, Death Santas, they called him, yeah. you know. Um, but on foreign policy, which is um, an area where the president really has very, very broad, legitimate constitutional authority, he's extremely bad. Um, uh, he is, he's a neocon. Uh, and that's just all there is to it. And he he bows down to all the things you bow down to. I think when he took over as governor of Florida, they held their first legislative session in Tel Aviv, which is a foreign country. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> they don't vote for you. Um, so he definitely has um, very strong neocon tendencies. Um, so for me, especially as a foreign policy person, that makes it somewhat less attractive to me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that he's that he's paid enough of his dues yet. I don't know that he has the depth um, that he needs to have. Um, but he's young. He's good looking. He's got a good looking family. Mm -hmm. um, he's energetic. Florida's a great success. Everyone wants to move. There's like Texas. Everyone wants to move to Texas, Florida. Yeah. Um, so he's got that going for him. And I, I don't know how you you need to call some kind of an exorcist, right, to exercise <laughs> that that neoconism. <laughs> You know, and, and this is the this is a real disease among Republicans because, yeah. especially as you you very well pointed out, a Bush a Bush era Republican because there's this idea if you're not tough, uh, then you're just a liberal wimp, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And I would have thought that would have run its course by now, but it hasn't. There's still that mentality. I've got to get tough with these chicoms. To what end? You know, to yeah. what end? What mm -hmm. you know? What 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 do you want to achieve? So, it's um. There's nothing to get excited about in either. I just, I, I don't think that Trump will change his spots. I think he, 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 he lacks curiosity. He lacks intellectual curiosity. He lacks the, he, he lacks the um, dedication to seeing a job through to the end, which is ironic because he's a very successful businessman. Mm -hmm. Usually people that are like that who hire crappy managers, who don't really care if the work gets done right or not, who don't really care if they listen to you or not. Usually those guys lose businesses, but he's apparently been successful. So I don't know what's what's going on with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the pretext is laid out for kind of an escalation with China. And th the one thing that Republicans have to stop with is this, you know, you got to look tough because what do they always say about Biden? Oh, we look so weak. We look so weak. And, you know, we got to stick. We got to stick it to China. You know, he's got to look tough for China. He's got to look tough on Russia. And this is usually where Republicans attack him from. You know, a lot of them, yeah. they're good on Ukraine, but they're not good necessarily for the right reasons. Like, oh, well, we're not looking tough enough. That's what yeah. we're saying most of the time. 
which yeah. is just ridiculous. But yeah, the whole Uyghur genocide stuff. I had somebody tell me once, oh, well, what are mainstream people going to talk about this? I'm like, the president of the fucking United States has <laughs> said they're committing genocide. Like, how much more mainstream does it get from there? And then literally, if you just type in Adrian Z's retraction, you're going to find all these papers that say exactly, you know, what he did was complete and total debauchery. Yeah. But most of the Uyghur stuff is total CIA psyop stuff. Right. I mean, it's just a fact. But, you know, the Dalai Lama has been in the CIA pay <laughs> for decades, right? It's classic, classic CIA stuff. You try to peel yeah. away. They did it with the Soviet Union. They did it with Russia as well. Yeah. You try to peel away. You try to, I mean, the communists were great at this. That's why we have a lot of the problems we have today yeah. is nationalities policies in the, in the Soviet Union and in Yugoslavia as well. Um, you know, they, 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 they sent a lot of Russians to Latvia because they wanted to be able to tamp down Latvian nationalism. Uh, and that's true throughout the region. And now when the whole thing is over, well, you got problems because you got a lot of Russians in there who lived there for generations and the Latvians hate their guts and they won't give them citizenship. They treat them like crap all the time. So we basically emulate a lot of what the Soviet Union did to try to break up uh, countries we don't like. And so the Uyghur stuff, I've never bought it. I, I think it's a bunch of crap. Um, I think the Dalai Lama stuff, obviously the guys in the pay. So the fact is that all of these tough guy Americans who think we're going to take on the Chi-Coms don't understand is that if China invades Taiwan, they will win. They will take Taiwan and we will friggin' lose. Mm -hmm. You know, we were in Afghanistan for 20 years fighting a bunch of people with no shoes on their feet and we <laughs> lost, you know, and we're going to take out the Chi-Coms. Give me a break. This is ridiculous. We don't even have any weapons left. We gave him all of that clown cocaine addict Zelensky. We literally don't have any weapons left. And the weapons that we have left suck. You know, I'm sure you saw that video of that F-35. It landed, did, it a, did a nosedive. You know, on, it's a joke. It's yeah. a joke. But it's manufactured in all 50 states and in five foreign countries. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's all about. It's about corruption. It's about the military industrial complex. It's not about defending this country, that's for sure. And if it came down to it, if a war breaks out in Europe, NATO will lose. Doug McGregor has been there. He's done that. He knows all about it. He said it from the beginning. Uh, the U.S. and NATO will lose. And that's going to be a real wake-up call, I think, for people. Um, but if, if nothing changes in the near future, that will happen. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of the mind that I don't I didn't think there was going to be significant differences between Biden and Trump until this whole deal where they brought Zelensky in and we're hanging the flag in there. I'm like, all right, well, I, I do think that this still would have happened under Trump. But like the Zelensky and them hanging the flag in there, I I can't say that I believe Trump would have put up with that because at least he in that regard kind of had like this nationalistic pride. Yeah. And I don't say that as a pejorative, but, you know, he loved his country yeah. and he's not going to let these fucking clowns put up a flag of another country up behind them so uh, it's it was so ridiculous but one thing that was kind of eye-opening for me was seeing marjorie taylor green go all in on kevin mccarthy because she's been really good on the russia ukraine stuff but like i matt gates is amongst these republicans who's kind of retarded on china but like he's been really good on ukraine and most of the other stuff as well um I really admire the way that he stood up with the other 20, whoever they were. I know Lauren Boebert and Thomas Massey was kind of in that group, although Thomas kind of changed his mind once he got good con good concessions. Um, I just – it really turned me off with Marjorie Taylor Greene seeing her go all in on that because, like, well, you've been very outspoken about Ukraine, but then you're going all in on the guy who has two Ukraine pins, like – yeah. Come on, what are we doing? He's got him on his shirt. God knows where else he has him, right? <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> Easy, Kevin. Don't yeah. show us. Don't show Kevin. us your tattoos. <laughs> yeah, see, that's a question. We talked, Dr. Paul and I talked about it on the show. We talked about it off the show. Um, and, you know, I think you could make a good argument for her position. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is that, you know, basically the Democrats don't do this. They don't shoot themselves in the feet. As soon as they get power... They rally behind Nancy Pelosi, uh, and I'm sure a lot of them realize how brain dead she was and is, um, but they don't want to make a public show of beating, hacking each other to death. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, you know, Dr. Paul always voted when it came to like formalities, he just always vote with the party because it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't really change very much. Mm -hmm. And if there's not really, you know, my old, the old chief of staff, uh, Tom Lazardo would always say to us, um, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? You know, and that was his, that was his, uh, his mantra. And, and so I, I can see her position. 
I think it hurt her brand to do that, to be yeah. all in with Kevin. It hurt her brand because she she really is a, a very outspoken. She's a rabble rouser. Uh, it did hurt her, I think. Um, Massey played it very smart. He, he Yes. And we talked about it at the time. And Massey's on the board of our institute. And I, I, I think Massey is one of the – he's definitely the second Ron Paul in Congress right now. Um, at the time, we were curious. We weren't critical, but we were curious um, mm-hmm. because he had he wasn't tweeting. He, usually, he's tweeting all the time. He wasn't tweeting. He wasn't saying anything, but he was voting for um, for McCarthy. And so, Dr. Paul and I assumed that basically his his view would be a view that Dr. Paul would agree with. This is not the hill to die on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no one. There was no one really better in the running. The other people they were trying to get didn't really want the job. Yeah. Um, so. Um, you can go each way, either way. However, even some progressives after this said, you know what? That's democracy in action. That's not a travesty. That's this group of 20 saying, you know what? We're not going to just roll over, you know, for mm-hmm. Kevin, it's my turn, McCarthy. We want something out of this. Now, the question of whether they'll actually get it or not is one thing. But the, the, the benefit of having such a tight margin is that they do have, we basically have a de facto third party. You know, and that's one of the few good things about a multi-party democracy like you see in Europe is you have coalitions where minor parties sometimes can take on huge, huge importance and huge, huge power. Um, and that can be a very good thing. So if they can retain their cohesiveness, and I would suggest that they do that. They, I don't know if it's a Freedom Caucus or whatever it needs to be. Um, at the time Dr. Paul was in, we had the Liberty Caucus where we have regular Thursday Liberty lunches in Dr. Paul's office. Mm-hmm. He would order up a bunch of shrimp and I would find a speaker uh, and we would have, you know, we had prominent people. That's how I got to know people like Doug McGregor and Phil Giraldi uh, and all these great speakers that we had, Jonathan Turley. Um, that's how you keep these groups together. And I hope that they do something like this because they, that's only 20 people, but they've got a ton of power. Right. Uh, so, so in conclusion, I mean, I probably spoke too much about it. In no, conclusion, okay. you can make an argument either way. But I would say to use a cliche, all is well that ends well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I admire her independent streak amongst her peers. I think that was a bad hill to go all in on. And Thomas Massey, I think kind of like you were alluding to, was playing it strategically and didn't want to go on without a plan. So the plan was, hey, we get concessions and then I'm going to vote for him. And it seems like that's kind of the way it played out. So I really don't have a problem with that. But um, kind of just going all in after you've been the best person on Ukraine. It, like yeah. you said, it, it hurts her brand, but um, they're, they're kind of takeaways all around there that were uh, interesting. But, you know, hopefully the Republican, the Republicans kind of stick to it. And then even like you said, some progressives were kind of siding with them about um, some different stuff like military stuff. So um, I, I hope that stuff comes to fruition. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll just kind of have to see because I know sometimes a little bit of a hot potato. Yeah, well, if Massey, you know, having a prominent position on this committee. Uh, that's going to look into the FBI's involvement in in domestic political affairs. Um, having him with the ability to subpoena, having him on that committee prominently, I would say that's definitely worth the trade off. If that's if that's exactly, we don't know what was in his mind, but if that's what they were talking about all the time, hey, you know, just take it, lay low for a while, and you'll get this. Mm-hmm. Then I think that's a hell of a deal because he is so smart, and he is so principled, and you know, the great thing about Thomas Massey is unlike most of those bozos, he doesn't need the job. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't need it. He, he was already an enormously success, successful businessman. Mm-hmm. He built a beautiful house in Kentucky. I, I'm sure you guys, have, you've seen the, um, that wonderful 20 minute film about Massey building his house. Um, he doesn't need it. He's there because he's a true patriot and he wants to make the country better. So having him there to look into this stuff, it's like one of the very few bright spots right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, what is your go-to whiskey? Oh, that's a good question. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't drink a lot of spirits, but I do. I, I, I do have to say that there's a, a Texas company. It's up near Fort Worth, I think, uh, or or um, Waco. It's called Balcones. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure even if I'm pronouncing it that that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they have they have like a wide range of of whiskeys. But they have this one. It's um, it's a it's a pot still corn whiskey, a corn bourbon, and it is um, it's it's hey, I'm I'm a I'm a cheap guy. I'm not a rich guy, so it's at the lower <laughs> it's at the low end of their price points to use a cliche, 
Um, I get it for like $27 a bottle, which is cheap mm -hmm. for good whiskey. But I'm telling you, it is really, really good. The only danger is that it's so tasty, you're tempted to, to pour a second or third. You know, <laughs> you got to be careful because it's not one of those 80 proof whiskeys. It's like, it's like in the upper 90s or 100 proof. Oh. So, oh, but it's got, it's got a, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's got, it's almost like batter, you know, it's just got that real mouthfeel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a great, I think for the price, I mean, I haven't, I think it's one of the best that I've had for that, at that price level. Okay. I'm kind of lame. I guess my go-to is normally crown just because everywhere has it. And, um, yeah, that was kind of like dime bag Daryl's drink of choice. And I there's also a, a company here in Pittsburgh called wiggle whiskey and their stuff's really, really good as well. Um, and my dad gave me a bottle. I think it's proper 12. It looks like Jameson, but my dad said, Oh, I don't like this stuff. So I tried to like, Holy shit. This stuff is pretty freaking smooth. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Th those are, uh, some that come to mind. I also do like Jameson. Jameson's pretty good too, but it does yeah. have a little bit of a kick. The um, the George Dickel, I think it's the twelve or whatever the high, the highest one of theirs. I think they're doing premium ones now, but that's that was also a, a pretty good one for the price. You know, mm -hmm. it's a twelve, I think it is, is what it's called. But anyway, I, I, as I say, I, I'm not an expert. I'm like the furthest from an expert in it, um, and it's it's probably the best because it's not a habit you want you want to pick up too strongly. Mm -hmm. um, I generally like to have a glass of wine or something, but, um, but yeah, that Balconis, it's a pot still bourbon, uh, $27 a bottle. I, you can't beat it in my opinion. Oh yeah. No, that, that all sounds pretty good. Uh, my problem is that, uh, when my band plays, especially when we do these outdoor festival shows where it's like, you know, bring your own alcohol, I tend to be the guy running around pouring everybody a shot. And then, you know, <laughs> I, I have some bad stories from nights like those, but that's okay. I was um, going to say your playing, <laughs> unfortunately doesn't improve. I mean, uh, to a level, it does. Your inhibitions are lower, but then at some point, yeah. Diminishing you returns. Have, you kind of have like this happy medium where you got to balance it just right. Yeah. And I've I've gone way beyond, and I've gotten right to the point mm. plenty of times. But you know, you just got to kind of work it. So um, give me the microphone. I want to talk to you, people. I love you. Yeah, they they had, they had to cut me off once, and I, it was like my drummer messaged me, and he knew that I knew that he knew I knew better, and he just laid into me and like, dude, if he would have said like, dude, you can't ever do that again, and like we're throwing you out of the band, I would have been like. I deserve it. <laughs> so I know you had a little bit of a time limit and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so I got two more questions for you if you got a second. Okay, sure. Sure. What does Liberty look like to you? Oh, it looks like being left alone. You know, I, I um, one of the things that, I, that I've done several times is I'm, I'm a religious person, you know, and I, um, I'm a traditional Catholic and I've spoken at several traditional Catholic conferences um, and um, not to make a long, not to give you the long story, but basically People who are tradition-minded, not just in religion, but in architecture or other things, um, the state is your enemy. And so one of the things that I've tried, that I tried to do, um, my last speech was called Evil Empire, Why American Catholics must, must Divorce the State, or something like that. And I tried to convince them, you can't, you can't have the kind of world you want uh, with God at the center, with the church at the center, if you still worship government. You have to hate government. So even if you think, oh, libertarians, you're God, you're these godless scumbags who want to open the borders and, you know, want to have sex and drugs on every corner, you know, that's their misperception. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm coming to them saying, oh, you want to build like a sustainable community that's centered around faith and prayer and farming and, you know, whatever. Guess what? The state's going to be there in three seconds to kick your ass. So what you mm -hmm. have to first do is get rid of the state and then you can do what you want. And if you're in Oregon and you want to have a commune and smoke pot all day, hey, that's fine. But you got to get the state off your back. So liberty looks like the ability to do whatever the hell you want, as Dr. Paul would say, as long as you're not hurting anyone else or stealing their stuff, you know. Nice. Yeah, um, I, I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> Dan, this has been an awesome conversation. Where can everybody find you? Um, at ronpaulinstitute.org. Um, we didn't talk about it, but I was just reinstated to Twitter after a three and a half year ban for saying <laughs> something mean about Sean Hannity. Believe it or not. It's not mean if it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's right. It is true. <laughs> but I'm at uh, Daniel L. McAdams on Twitter. Um, Ron Paul Liberty Report every day, every weekday at noon uh, Eastern time live. We're live on Rumble every weekday uh, at noon Eastern time. Uh, and we do generally about three conference, uh, conferences a year. We do one kind of in your neck of the woods, I guess, in D.C. usually every year. 
Um, that's where we really get together and have a great time. We have hundreds of people there and just have a terrific, terrific time. It's so important. Um, that's what they try to do with COVID is to keep us apart, right? Keep us apart, keep people apart. Our conferences bring people together of all backgrounds. The Ron Paul Institute is not a libertarian organization. It's a, it's an organiz it's a fusion organization of all different ideologies and backgrounds so, uh, that are interested in peace. So come to a conference, watch the show, check out our website. We put up new articles every day. Um, it just give you like, here's your quick read of the day. Here's something to think about for the day. So, uh, and, and get in touch with us. You know, it's, uh, the, the Ron Paul movement is definitely still alive. It's, of course it changes as it ages, as the movement ages, as the young people are now older and have families and the next generation is coming, but it's still alive and it's still there and it's still growing. So I think everyone should take heart in that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So uh, Dan, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out and um, we'll uh, say our goodbyes on the other side. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.